Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. I get to talk about the love of money. It's pretty exciting, right? Money. I mean, no one ever fights about money. That's an easy topic. No tension there, right? Real simple. Yeah. So let's just go home, right? We all got it. All right, well, so we're doing this series on For the Love of Money, and Cameron spoke, Pastor Cameron spoke last week about tithing, which I'm sure was excellent, but I was speaking in Nicholson. I didn't hear it yet. I have to listen to that podcast. And this week, um, I actually want to take a little bit of a different angle. It's a little bit of kind of backing out and looking at the big picture. So I've actually titled this Our Relationship with Money. So this all came about because... Um, I actually really love thinking about money and finances, and I, I'm the nerd. I like budgets. I like Excel spreadsheets. I think it's kind of fun, right? Like, here's the money coming in, and I can go here, and it can go here, and it can go here, and we can give to this, and we can do that, and I think that is great. And most people hate that, so I know that's strange. Um, if you would like me to help you with that, I would love it. It's like a little party for me. So anyways, I'm the nerd of the family, if you know Dave Ramsey teaching it all. And so I'm a big believer in like staying debt free and paying with cash and doing all those things if possible. And I have to tell you um, a couple of things. One, you know, when Graham and I first got married and started out, you know, Dave Ramsey was tough. I think we each got five bucks that we could spend without asking each other a week, you know. Like I can do my $5 spend and the rest of that money is going to important stuff. And that was um, interesting, you know? And then, of course, we've grown and changed jobs and different things, and so we get a little bit more than $5 a week now. It's, we don't actually spend that much, just randomly. Most of it's budgeted. But the one thing I can say is that we don't fight about money. That is not, it's just not an issue in our marriage. And that's very unusual. Money is usually the number one or number two thing that couples fight about. And it's something that everyone has to deal with because our society is set up with money. You know, and my mom started me quite young with budgeting. And uh, so I, I guess I got my nerdiness from her. And I really appreciate that because it's been easy from that sense. So I, th- I think about money a lot from that perspective, teaching about it, counseling people about it, that kind of thing. So it's not a new topic for me. Graham and I were taking a walk a few months ago, and I was thinking, oh, you know, I have this teaching coming up at New Day, and what am I going to focus on? And so we were kind of having a chat. And he brought up this concept of a seminar that he does at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, and it's titled Our Relationship with Money. And I was like, wait, now what's this? Because I have never, ever thought about it from this perspective, ever. And I think about, you know, finances and all those other things a fair amount. So I'm like, this seems game-changing. Like, what you're talking about seems really important and, like, just a really new perspective. And so because I think it's so important and because I think it's fresh, I have brought my own guest speaker today, Dr. Graham McCaig, who's going to share with you a little bit about that seminar and kind of how they approach it. All right. Short and sweet right there. Don't worry, Jill will be back. It's not me for the rest of the time. You'll be pleased to know. So, uh, well, good morning, everyone. So, I want to take a few minutes and just talk about the 
seminar that we do up at the seminary in Grand Rapids. And uh, I think it's a helpful foundation for what we're talking about today because it's not just for people who are in seminary and thinking about going into ministry. I think the lessons apply for for, for me and for Jill and for all of us, hopefully, this morning. And so um, what what we do at the seminary is we are training people to go into full-time ministry and people that are going to be um, overseeing churches and ministries and nonprofits. And uh, we always ask our graduates and our students, what are we doing well and what are we not doing so well? So they tell us, you're doing a great job in teaching us Greek and Hebrew and how to read the Bible and theology and all of that stuff. And the ministry leadership side is good too, but they said the one thing that we don't learn is how to work with church boards and budgets and all that stuff. And so we thought, okay, we can work on that. So we started designing a series of workshops. And a couple of the workshops really go after this whole idea of managing finances and budgets, specifically for ministries. And so we have a whole workshop that's on budgeting. And then I helped us to lead this other workshop that I'm going to describe for you this morning. So what happens is uh, students come in, and it's a three-hour workshop. So they come in, and I say to them, hey, welcome, everyone. It's a, usually a small group. You welcome, everyone. Uh, we're going to spend the next three hours talking about money and finances. Mm, yeah, yeah. So they kind of react like that. They, they're not super impressed. And I say, but don't worry. Don't worry. We're not going to fire up. Excel, we're not going to get spreadsheets out. We're not going to start plugging numbers in and all of that stuff. So, okay, that's a little better. So then we have a, a whiteboard. You know, we have a board on the wall. And we just say, okay. So you know that the session is about money and you know it's about finances. And you know we're not talking about budgets. We're just going to talk about money in general. And say, what do you, what's your association with money? What do you think about when you hear that we're going to spend the next three hours talking about money, finances? So we give them a minute to think about it, and then we have them come up and write on the board. So they take a few minutes, and they write all these words on the board. And then we have them sit down, and we kind of take a look at the words on the board. And uh, what types of words do you think they write on the board? Well, it's words like fear. When they think about money, they're kind of afraid to think about money. Anxiety. They just write things like, I don't like thinking about money. Uh, ignorance, they just they don't know some stuff about money. And stressful is another word. Um, they write debt, you know, going into debt. Stressful for them. Uh, and some people write, it's a necessary evil. Okay? And then these are people that are going into ministry. So the other thing they wrote was tithing and then having to ask people for money. Which then, again, was stressful and caused fear and anxiety, right? Because they realized going into ministry, they're going to be regularly asking people for money, right? And they, a lot of them don't really want to do that. They can get away with it, right? So it's not fun. So anyway, so these are some of the words that they spoke back about thinking about money. And that might be some words that, that you think, too, when you think about money and finances. And so the thing that we then ask students is we say, uh, where do you think uh, these ideas came from? Where do you think all of these negative associations of money and finances have come from? We say, do you think that um, God has negative opinions about money? So they think for a minute, and they typically think, well, no, like I don't think that God is completely against money, right? You can see in the Bible where money is used for good purposes and for ill, right? It's both ways, right? Some people who are heroes of the faith in the Bible are completely, fabulously wealthy, and 
some people who are heroes of the faith lived in poverty. So, well, that, okay, so we've got to wrestle through that a little bit. Some may say, okay, well, where did your opinions of money come from? And then they think about it for a while, and that's what they come up with as parents. And so what we do is, myself and the co-presenter, we just talk about our experience growing up and what we learned about money from our parents. Now, my parents were very, very, um, you know, very, very thrifty. They did not spend anything more than they had to. They always wanted a deal, and they always kind of squirreled money away in all of these different places. And um, as a child, I didn't really appreciate how much they did that until now that I'm older and, you know, can see how over the years and over the decades they've managed their money. They've, they've done a good job. You know, they, my dad was a business owner. My mom was a nurse, and so they just really saved, saved, saved. And the person who presents with, with me, um, his dad was a traveling salesman. They never knew what their income would be month to month. He would often just spend the money before it came into the family. And so they always had this feeling of uncertainty, uncertainty, uncertainty. And so we kind of share, you know, how that's really influenced our lives. And so we have students think about their own parents or the people that raised them and say, how did they deal with money? And a lot of times they realize that their own opinions of money have been so profoundly shaped by their parents or the people that raised them. So then we say, okay, well, what other influences make you think about money? And so they begin to think about it and they say, well, in our general culture, you know, our culture is full of advertising, it's full of media, it's full of all of these different incentives. People are always telling you, like, buy more, buy more. And even if you can't afford it, like, just keep buying more, just keep buying more. It's okay to finance, you know. Finance, finance, right? And so we're all aware of this. And so they're saying, yeah, like that's the culture we're in. And it keeps encouraging us to think about money in a certain way. So then I, we ask, do you, um, do you ever remember hearing a sermon at church about money? And what do you think they said? A lot of these people grew up in church. So what do you think they said? Yep, yep, we did hear it. We said, what was the topic? Tithing, right? Give, give more to the church. Make sure to tithe. So, so we're not against that, right? Because, I mean, Pastor Cameron was here talking about tithing, right? So don't want to take away from that. But we said, have you ever heard a sermon at church that wasn't about tithing or giving? None of them. None of them had heard that sermon. And so today we're going to fix that for you. So this is not about tithing or giving more. So um, what we ended up coming down to is thinking about money is actually a very relational thing. Thinking about money is actually very relational. And a lot of the language in the scriptures actually, when it talks about us and money, is very relational language. What's your relationship with money? And so as students were going through that exercise, thinking about how they were shaped in their thinking about money, they realized that this idea of money and how to think about money has been with them since they were very, very young. And looking ahead, over the course of their life and career, they realize thinking about money is going to be with them all the way through their life as well. And one of the things that um, I've seen in working up at the university and the seminary is students are really worried that they will never have enough money. They're very worried about that because they know ministry typically is not a high-paying profession. They usually take out loans to get through their education, and, and so it goes. But I've seen another um, pattern happen as well in talking with church leaders, talking with people working at the university. And this pattern didn't strike me as first, but I have really come to um, see it in different people's lives, which is some people in life actually end up making way more money than they ever thought they would. 
just through hard work, through circumstance, through inheritance. Some people end up just getting to a stage of life and they say, I have way more money or a significant amount of money than I thought I would ever have before. And I had never really thought about that, you know, before. Because uh, part of me buys into that whole idea of like, you just need a little bit more money and then the problems go away, right? That's kind of a cultural thing that we hear. But in reality, it's just a different set of problems that you have and a different set of questions. And so um, there are some really, really um, great God-fearing people who towards the end of their life especially have a lot of money and they are genuinely burdened with what to do with it. And this is another area of ministry, another area that we could think about related to money is what's your relationship with money towards the end of your life? Even if you have a lot of money, that can become something that's very, very burdensome. And there are, you're trying to decide, should I give it to the church? Should I give it to my children? Should I give it to this other organization? What should I do with this money? Should I benefit the community? It becomes a very, very kind of heavy burden for people, or it can towards the end of their life. And so again, that's just another example of how we have this ongoing kind of lifelong relationship with money. And if we think about having a relationship with money, then what does it mean to be kind of in a relationship? What does that kind of look like? How does that reframe what we're thinking about when it comes to finances? So Jill's going to come and share a little bit about just the whole area of relationships and what that looks like. All right. So isn't that interesting, this idea that we have a relationship? So I just thought, okay, well, I mean, what is a relationship? And a relationship is really the way things are connected together. So it's usually between people, but you can have a relationship with money, right? Because you're connected to it. And honestly, money is going to be your constant companion your whole life. So you kind of have to figure this one out. You know, that's just how our society is set up. So it's always going to be there. And like any relationship, you need to figure out what's the right relationship. You need to nurture it. You need to pay attention to it. And you got to get it right. It's kind of an interesting thing to think about. So, you know, I think about my friendships, and I have some really great friendships. And if I just didn't text my friend for six months or a year, do you think that my relationship would stay the same with that person? Absolutely not. It would change, right? Like, it just would change because I wasn't paying attention to it. I wasn't giving it what it needed, right? And it's the same idea with money, which seems like, well, I don't, I don't know about that because, like, the Bible clearly tells us not to love money, so I think you're full of crap. Well, <laughs> what I said was we need to have the right relationship with money, right? And you're right. The Bible clearly says we're not to be a lover of money. That's not meant to be the relationship, right? We're not supposed to let money control us, right? Because you can't, if you serve money, then it comes between your relationship with God. So that's, that's not the right relationship. However, you know, here's some interesting facts. Of 38 parables in the Bible, 16 of them deal with money and possessions. That's a lot. Not quite 50%, but that's a lot. And one out of 10 verses in the Gospels deal with the subject of money. So Jesus was not afraid to talk about it. And it is important because he understood that this is kind of how culture is set up, how society is set up. So we need to get this right. And then you think about that parable of the talents, right? 
So there's a master, there's three servants. The master gives the servants different talents. One gets one, one gets two, one gets five. He says, take care of this, and I'm going to come back, and you're going to give me a report. The master goes away, and the servants, the one with five invests, makes ten. The one with two invests makes four. And the one with one says, I don't really want to deal with this, but I want, it, I want to keep it safe for my master, but I don't really want to deal with it, so I'm going to bury it, so at least it'll be there. And what does the master say when he comes back? Right? He congratulates the two that doubled, and he criticizes the one that hit it and didn't pay attention to it. And I absolutely agree that that parable is about more than money, that that is about your gifts and, and the other things that you bring to the table. But it is also about money, right? Like, we can't ignore that fact. And so it's, it's really interesting. So again, it's, it's about having the right relationship. And I think that that actually is um, really important for us. So I was thinking about, okay, let's look at a relationship really between people. And you can, on the left, we have healthy characteristics of a relationship. So if your relationship is full of trust, honesty, openness, respect, support, those obviously are positive attributes, right? Like that's what we're going for. That's a healthy relationship. And on the right-hand side are characteristics of an unhealthy relationship. So if you have jealousy between people, you're trying to manipulate someone, you're lying a lot, you know, you're isolating from others, you have guilt, something's wrong there, right? I would suggest that if you notice a pattern in your life as you're relating to other people in the area of money, if you have a lot of those unhealthy characteristics when it comes to money, something's not right with your relationship towards money, right? If you're always having to lie about money, something's off. If you're always trying to manipulate situations, something is not right. So that's a good indicator. And I would say that it's really important to look at the pattern. So maybe you have a really healthy relationship in general, but because of a unique circumstance with an individual, something is a little bit different. I wouldn't, I would uh, examine that carefully because that doesn't mean that your relationship with money is off. What I'm saying is if you always are feeling like you have to manipulate when it comes to money or lie about money or, or portray these different characteristics, something's not right. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like a little check you can do. So I was thinking about it, and I came up with four kind of broad categories of ways you might relate to money. All of these are extremes, and all of them are negative extremes. Um, so you might be somewhere on the scale from 0 to 10. And I was, I'll just go through these. The thing that I think is really common between all of them is it relates money then to our emotional health. And that is a good example of something isn't right. So when money is the dictator of your feelings or your emotions, something's not right. Okay, so a spender. So a spender, miser, hater, seeker were the four, so we'll go through them. So a spender, this is someone who uh, likes to purchase all the time, often might be going into debt because of that and has a connection between shopping and mood, you know? So kind of like, I had a really bad day, the way I'm gonna fix that is I'm gonna go clothes shopping. I mean, exactly, new shoes. New shoes just 
do seem to make things better sometimes. Right? I have to tell you, I got these shoes recently, and I really love them. <laughs> it's true. I've been wearing them like every other day. Um, however, if I had to have left them in the store, that would have been okay too, right? So that, that's my, I think I'm all right there. And there are times when I think I, it's Monday morning and I'm going to work and oh my goodness, it's going to be a long day and Starbucks coffee just sounds great, right? So those are little funny things. But you know what I'm saying here. This is like when you're spending because that's your, that's the way you're coping, right? And there's something not right about that. This is where you're counting on money for your happiness and happiness should not come from money. It, it just, it shouldn't be rooted in money. The next one would be a miser. So this is someone who's really fearing poverty to the point where they're really controlling everything. They're afraid of not having enough, and so they kind of hoard their money. Now, a really good example of this um, would be someone maybe who lived through the Great Depression or someone who survived the Holocaust because they would have been in a situation where they had to do those things to survive, right? So in those periods of time, this would not have been being miserly. This would have been called surviving. But it's when you are outside of those circumstances and you continue to approach money with this attitude that something is off. And so what you're doing here is you're using money as your form of control. That's how you're trying to control your life is with money. And that also is not really a healthy habit. A hater. You absolutely hate money and what it does to people. You like purposely avoid any material possessions. Please work close. <laughs> and so the example here is really maybe you've seen some, maybe you had a family member who was really impacted by money and it just didn't go well something like this, but the real, the real emotion is fear. I fear money. I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid of what it does to people, so I don't want to engage with it. But we're not supposed to fear anything, right, except for the fear of God. So again, something's not quite, quite right there. And then the last one is a seeker. And this is when someone is just obsessed with becoming wealthy, right? They always have their new money-making scheme, you know, the next get rich thing. So being a seeker. And this is often where someone um, thinks that the more money I have, it's going to solve all my problems. So it's looking for this sense of security from money. That's the emotion attached to it, is finding security in money. And so none of these are a healthy way to approach or the right relationship to have with money. So here's the thing. If you notice one of those in your own life, and I have to say that I'm, I'm going to also throw this in for free, that I think this can sometimes apply to other things. Like for me, it would be with time. You know, and they say time is money, kind of, right? And so I think I need to do some self-examination with my time and how my attitude is towards that. But if you're a spender, why do you need so much? If you're a miser, why are you so worried? What are you trying to control? If you're a hater, what are you avoiding or what are you fearing? And if you're a seeker, why are you constantly chasing money? So asking the why question 
Which really is going to go back to the stuff Graham was talking about. Like, it's rooted somewhere. You didn't just wake up one morning like this. There is a reason for it. And it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this from a counseling perspective. And I think about um, someone with post-traumatic stress disorder. So, like, say a soldier goes to war and comes home and has PTSD. Okay, so here's the example. Soldier in war is hypervigilant, a little bit paranoid, never turns off because he has to, right? That's survival. Those circumstances mean I have to have these characteristics if I want to live. That is functional. That is surviving. Soldier leaves war, comes back to a place of peace, still is hypervigilant, paranoid, can't turn off, obsessive. Suddenly, that's dysfunctional, right? And we call that post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's really possible you can take the same idea with money that there's something that happened in the past or you're in a situation in the past and it caused you to survive and it caused you to develop an attitude which is maybe carried on to today and it's maybe no longer functional or healthy. So I gave this example in one of the New Day services, not in the other, and then, anyways, hope you don't think less of me, but... When Graham and I were first married, and I told you, we didn't have a lot, right? Like, we were care very careful with our money. I would uh, make out the grocery list. I would go through all the ads, and I would literally kind of add up, you know, like, we can buy these things, and it should cost about this much, and, okay, that fits into our budget. And I was like, I was pretty crazy. And um, one time, Graham offered to go to the grocery store for me, and I was like, great, here's the list. This gets bad. Go to the store. Here's the list. You know, it's like so, so many items on it. And I knew it should be like 20 bucks, 25 bucks for whatever we were buying, right? And he comes home. It's probably the first time he's gone to the grocery store for me. We haven't been married that long. He's like, Here, you know, here's the stuff. And I'm like, why is the bill so much? Like, you spent like twice as much. So it was kind of like... If he, like, I had milk, and so he bought milk, but he bought the brand of milk that wasn't on sale versus the one that was on sale, right? And, but had managed to do that, like, with every item. At which point, this is where it, it didn't go well. So at which point I'm like, we have to return these groceries. <laughs> Nobody returns groceries. Like, who does that? <laughs> Apparently I do that. Not a high moment. But, you know, you can see there, like, I was, m money kind of superseded, right? Like, so that kind of put jeopardy on my relationship with Graham, because I'm like, those groceries are going back. So anyways, you can see that these are the types of things I am talking about. Credit to Graham. We actually didn't fight about that. He just was loving and gracious and no longer does the grocery shopping. <laughs> yeah. So relationships do change over time. And of course, our situation today is different than it was when we first got married. And so I, I don't make him return groceries anymore. And um, I do shop at Aldi, though. Big plug for Aldi. Love it. Okay, anyways, relationships change over time. And so this is a good thing to also consider as you go through your life. So here's an example. Nurse, king, coach, friend, 
This describes a relationship between two people. Anyone guess what it is? It's the progression, natural progression of a relationship from nurse to king to coach to friend. This describes a parent. Yep. So parent towards a child, of course, when that baby is a baby, you're the nurse, you're doing everything. Moves to king, you're teaching them the rules. This is, these are the boundaries, this is what's going on. Goes to coach, like I'm a, I want to coach you into independence, to being an adult, and then eventually to being a friend. And that is the natural progression, and that is how it should evolve over time. And I would suggest that there's a progression with money too, that there's a, a maturing that should happen you know, when you're a kid and you get an allowance or you're, you get a small amount, you have a level of responsibility with that that's different than when you're in high school with your first job or whatever, that's different when you're an adult, that's different when you're married with kids, that's different when you're nearing retirement, right? That relationship with money should change. And so I would also challenge you that as you consider where you're at with, with your finances, have you allowed that to change over time, you know? Has that matured? Have you gone from stone to stone? Have you progressed from milk to solid food when it comes to the money? So hope that makes hope that makes sense. So, and um, just as we finish, as I finish, because Graham's going to actually wrap it up, as I'm challenging you to consider what is your current relationship with money? Are you happy with it? Does it need adjustment? And then it can change. You know, and I say this a lot, I say this to myself a lot, I say this when I counsel others a lot. You know what the goal is? The goal is one step better today than yesterday. That's it, one step better. Did I do something a little bit better today? Because if I did, that's a victory. And that's absolutely how you make progress. If you set these like tremendous goals of I have to you know, lose 25 pounds tomorrow, that's impossible and frustrating and it's not gonna happen, right? One step better today than yesterday, and that's how you make changes. So if you've realized that I don't like where I'm at, I don't like what my relationship is or my attitude is with money right now, great. Figure out why and make a plan to make one step better today. Does that make sense? So Graham's just going to wrap up with a few final thoughts. All right. And um, Jill's been describing kind of this relational side with money. Uh, how we wrap the session up that I described earlier for students is we have them think about their relationship with money through the area of thinking about their spiritual formation or their spiritual life. And that's spiritual formation is really this idea that we are going step by step, like Jill described, but step by step we're moving forward in our spiritual maturity and our spiritual growth. And I want to just talk about this topic for a couple of minutes from a spiritual growth perspective. And what we're wanting to move students towards is greater freedom in their relationship with money. Greater freedom from those unhealthy um, thoughts, those unhealthy feelings that would keep them trapped or would in some way be a barrier between them and their relationship with God. And we use a couple of different resources. The first is we um, use a book by um, a scholar called Richard Foster, and he's written a lot about spiritual formation and spiritual practices. And he has um, shared a couple of um, very, very specific ideas, and I'm going to um, close with those in a second. But the other area that we really um, direct students towards is um, the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically uh, Matthew chapter 6. And if you read Matthew chapter 6, there's this incredible kind of interrelation in those sections in that chapter where Jesus 
connects the dots between um, money and possessions and a few other things. That chapter starts with a section on giving money to the poor. And from there, then Jesus goes into a section on prayer. From there, Jesus goes into a section on fasting. From there, Jesus goes into a section on thinking about your possessions. And then he goes into a section about not worrying because, you know, today is enough worry of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's also the passage of scripture in in verse 21 where Jesus talks about this whole idea of where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And that's really at the root of this whole thinking about relationships and money. And so um, we kind of have students think through that passage. And I encourage you to read it because there Jesus makes some clear connections between our spiritual life, our prayer and our fasting life, relationships, uh, our possessions, giving, and being worried about having enough. And all these things are kind of connected together. So Richard Foster has five different areas. I'm just going to mention them and then we'll, we'll close for this morning. And he is, if you're interested in thinking about this whole idea of money, relationships, and spiritual formation and spiritual maturity, he's got some areas for you to think about. And the first is, he said, in order to achieve freedom when it comes to thinking about a relationship with money is you have to actually look at the details. So get your checkbook out, get your budget out, have a look at where your money is going, because that will show you some different patterns as a way to start. And he said, what will happen is we're so conditioned most of the time against legalism that what will happen is as you get into the details, this little buzzer will go off in your head like you're being very legalistic right now. You're separating like the Pharisees would separate the seeds on their plate or the food. You know, he said, you're being very legalistic right now. But he said, you have to shut that voice and quiet that voice because the way to get into freedom in this area is to actually look at the details. He said there's no other real way to do it. You just have to go into that level of detail. Does that make sense? And then look at the different areas that you've budgeted in your life and make adjustments. The second is, he said, our culture is so driven by consumerism and it's trying to capture the affection of our hearts right? in lots of different areas. Like Jill had mentioned, right? buy this and you'll feel better about yourself. And he said, find ways to avoid advertising. Find ways to try to ignore or at least become aware of the advertising that's around you, right? Just stop and think about what this commercial is telling you. Like, you'll be happier because you get a nicer car. Okay, is that really true? You know, part of you wants to believe that, right? And so, I mean, hey, my car's older, right? Nice new car, that'd be nice. Would smell better, probably. You know, you get that new car smell. So, I mean, think about these types of messages and find ways to maybe block it out, right? You can put an ad block on your web browser so you don't see all the ads all the time. You know, find ways to maybe even try to avoid some advertising. He said, sever, um, find ways to maybe sever some of the relationship we have with money. If you look at your budget and you realize we have some extra over here, is there a way you could rework your budget where you voluntarily kind of choose poverty in one area of your life where you just say, you know what, we don't need to spend money in this area anymore. And just see what that's like as it adjusts. And you might do it for a short period of time. But you might be able to find areas where you can just, he calls it voluntary poverty, where you just basically have an area where you choose not to give or, or you don't need to give money to that anymore. This one's really interesting. He said, if you absolutely have decided you need something and you're going to buy it, he said, why don't you pause? He said, we're so hardwired. Our reflex is if we want something, we buy it. That's how we're wired, right? But he said, if there's something you really want, 
instead of just going right out and buying it or going on Amazon and buying it, um, he said, why don't you pray on it for a week and see if God doesn't give it to you some other way. Somebody might lend that to you. Somebody might just give it to you. The money for that might just appear. He said, at least give God a chance to speak into those decisions in your life. And if at the end of the week it hasn't shown up and you still feel good about buying it, go ahead. And then finally, think about um, this relationship between money and possessions. And God might um, ask you to give possessions away as well as giving money. So that's our sermon for today. Those are some thoughts that we have kind of framing up this whole area in terms of thinking about money, thinking about finances. And we hope it's been helpful for you. All right. We're going to wrap up. Do we have a prayer team today? We do? Right over here? Is there a Rhema ministry today? No? All right. Um, it is called Freedom of Simplicity. Freedom of Simplicity. It talks about a lot more than just finances. It's a f- fantastic book. All right. So we got our prayer team over here. They'll pray for you for any need that you have this morning. Uh, we have food, space to hang out. We encourage you to hang out. Get your kids from Kids Church. Otherwise, you're dismissed. And have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. Thanks, everyone.